Reveal yourself. You are no Skywalker. The people cling to folklore, but they fear the First Order. On Monday, May 11th, Dufra Podcasts and Such presents Duel of the Fates, a nine-part audio series based on the alleged Connolly Trevorrow script. Oh, hey, 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 no, 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 trouble here. Find the resistance. Wipe them out. Okay, trouble, trouble! Experience the excitement you expect. Can't it be easy? Just one time? Oh, Chewie, negotiate. Persuade. The characters you adore. Mortis is a myth. They fear me. Soon I will command the force in ways unseen since the ancients. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? Luke! Tell me! Why were they afraid? In a story you've never heard. What do you see, brother? I'm afraid our shields cannot withstand a super laser of this magnitude. I have to bring an end to all this. For the week of May 3rd, 2020, this is a special bonus edition of Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Now today, we are recording on May the 4th, be with you and reviewing the series finale of The Clone Wars victory and death in which ahsoka and rex fight for survival following the execution of order 66 but before we get into that let's take a look at some late breaking news directly from lucasfilm so john there was some stuff that was dropped by starwars.com the lucasfilm hub for all the star wars announcements and we got a new director of a Film, what do you think of this? Uh, this feels very inevitable. You know, we, they're going to be making movies sooner or later just because they pumped the brakes and uh, wanted to regroup and kind of gather the brain trust and figure out how to maybe generate some like fresh lore and some fresh eras and just really wrap their heads around how to make Star Wars work in the theater again. Um, we knew that that wasn't going to be a permanent thing. We knew that they had brought in Kevin Feige to do some sort of development project. We heard that he was probably going to be directing one feature film. This might be that project. You know, maybe they started mapping things out and he thought, well, I've worked with Taika on Marvel stuff like Thor Ragnarok. He's the right fit. He's already kind of proven himself in Mandalorian. He directed the the final episode of that. He played IG 11. So, we know that he's got pedigree and he's proven himself. So it would make sense that he would be on their short list of people to pull in. I'd be willing to bet a lot of the people that direct Star Wars TV are going to end up doing feature films at some point down the road. And yeah, this seems like a very obvious choice. Happy to see it because he's done some really good work and I've enjoyed pretty much everything he's produced. So uh, I'm happy about the news. I don't know much about his uh, co-writer, except that she worked on the film 1917, which was absolutely stunning. So 
if her involvement or her creativity helped to make that movie as great as it was, and she can bring some of that inspiration to star Wars even better. So, uh, thumbs up for me. I'm just glad to hear that they're moving ahead and we're going to start getting some big screen star Wars fair to, you know, generate that massive excitement that we need. Like TV shows are great. I love the Mandalorian. I love what we're going to be getting in the fall. You know, we got cast and Andor and we've even got a, a new show, uh, that they just announced that we'll talk about as well. All that's fantastic, but it's not the same as the movie going experience. So I'm, I'm glad that we're getting back to basics and we're going to have some new theatrical fare coming down the pike. And of course, this next item is a little bit of late news for us, and we'll dive into it probably next week. But we have the writer, Leslie Headland, who is heading up a Star Wars series that we don't know much about yet. There's a lot of speculation as to whether or not this is going to be a female-led type of series because, of course, the person that is heading it. But yeah, all this type of stuff. We have so much going on in Star Wars, and a lot of me wonders, like, what exactly they were going to announce at Star Wars Celebration and what was going sure. to be planned before this pandemic hit us. So I think we have some more items coming our way. It is, of course, early on May the 4th. So who knows what else is coming today? Yeah, uh, I mean, we can circle back on this if we want, but this is information that's actually been floating around for a couple of weeks now. There, there were some seemingly strategic leaks uh, that hit the press yeah, a couple of weeks back now. So it's anyone's speculation about what her show is going to be. But I think the reason why this trickled out into the media the way that it did was specifically that female angle that you were talking about, making sure that Star Wars is inclusive and has content that could appeal to a broader base. You know, there's a whole another 50% of the population that could be rabid Star Wars fans if they had content that uh, was more geared towards their sensibilities. We've seen a little bit of that uh, with Forces of Destiny and uh, some some other Star Wars fair. Like you know, we've have more female protagonists in Star Wars just by volume than maybe we've had in the past. So it's obvious that Lucasfilm is thinking in that direction that they want to make Star Wars or some Star Wars fair for everyone, and that's probably what this project's going to turn into. And uh, it's anyone's guess, you know, what shape it's going to take. But I'm probably going to end up watching it. Absolutely. And especially if this is going to be something that brings more of these characters alive. Like today, we had some awesome content drop with the Clone Wars that featured mm -hmm. Ahsoka once again. So all this news, I think, is going back to this theme that Disney and Lucasfilm is pursuing. So I am looking forward to all of this. Of course, Mandalorian season three, Cassie Nandor. We still, and in this sure. news item, they threw an Obi-Wan in there. So it's still happening. Yeah. Yeah. They want to make sure that they keep the drumbeat going, right? Because so much is up in the air between the, the quarantine delays and just what was happening with the script development prior to the quarantine delays. So everyone's hoping for good news on Obi-Wan. It may get reshaped. Maybe it becomes theatrical again. Maybe they expand it or contract it for Disney Plus. You know, maybe we're looking at four episodes. Maybe we're looking at eight. It's anyone's guess right now. I've heard rumors from all sides. Uh, I'm just glad to know it's still moving ahead in some capacity and that Ewan McGregor is still in the mix. As long as those two facts are, are still, you know, uh, something that we can take to the bank, then I'm okay waiting until they figure out really what that needs to be. So, yeah, a lot of good Star Wars fare. And just one other thing that is worth checking out the documentary series that's going to be featuring the behind the scenes stuff 
for the Mandalorian. The first episode of that dropped on Disney plus today in line with all of our May the 4th activities. So that's something that I'll be watching probably later on this afternoon after we're done recording, had to check out clone wars first and foremost, but that's definitely on my queue list. And, uh, I'm excited to see that because I was really intrigued with the breakthroughs and special effects that they're using on that show, the way that they can use positional led and the motion information from a camera to do real-time rendered scenes and basically put them in any environment and it looks photorealistic like that is amazingly fantastic cinematic breakthroughs and uh i'm gonna be eating that up so lots of good stuff but uh we got the main event we got to get to here so you tried to segue to it once maybe maybe i'll let you get back to it Well, should we get into this episode of The Clone Wars, this series finale of The Clone Wars? John, what did you think of it? I thought that this was fantastic and fitting and touching and tragic. And on the backs of the previous few episodes that were leading to this, it felt totally perfect. And I just want to applaud Everyone involved, you know, Dave Filoni, we know he he wrote this, you know, this was kind of uh, something that he's been crafting and, and working on for a long time. So he deserves high marks for just having the vision to pull something really, really wonderful together to uh, close out the Clone Wars. Really enjoyed it. Well, right from the beginning, once again, we have this amazing type of score that is going on. This opening score of this episode really sets the tone of where we're going and basically where it finishes throughout. I love this score. I thought it was amazing. It was very new. It felt new, but once again, it kind of it still felt Star Wars. Yeah, I was getting a couple hints from Rogue One, which had, you know, some own distinct themes and kind of a divergence from the like John Williams uh, true scores of the, you know, the the main saga films. And I could have swore I was getting hints of some of those themes in it, but whatever they were doing, it it was subtle and it was moody and it was working. And I was picking up on that, too, right from the get go you're pulled right back into the world and the score is a big part of that. So like everything else with this final arc. It feels like they're just banging on all cylinders. And of course, this episode picks up directly where the last one left off. The clones, the remaining 501st, is trying to get to Rex and Ahsoka to execute them because Order 66 and Rex has diverted from the plan. And Ahsoka is here and she is still trying to avoid killing any clones. (laughs) <laughs> yes, she's going to have her work cut out for her because they're uh, they're coming fast and furious. They have a little conversation about what the strategy is going to be. And she just she says it quite plainly, like, you know, I'm, I'm not here to kill clones. I, I saved you. I'm not about to, you know, kill them. They were just as loyal before this was foisted on them. This is not their doing. So Ahsoka, you know, she's the one with the moral conviction to not compromise despite the craziness of the war around her. She is our true hero of the Clone Wars. Getting into the Clone Wars back in the day, you may have thought that it was Anakin and Obi-Wan's story, but, uh, you know, we learned pretty quick that the most compelling character and the one that I think you can just really applaud and that you really want to spend time with is Ahsoka. And yeah, she just shows why, you know, she's a fantastic character and a character that, you know, we want to pick up the story with in Rebels and now in Mandalorian. So Ahsoka is one of the best things that has come out of Star Wars in recent memory, and uh, she's still paying dividends. 
Now we have Ahsoka and Rex. Of course, they are setting their uh, their blasters to stun. Rex is not killing <laughs> yep. any clones either, even though he is more open to that idea than Ahsoka, which I thought is really mm. interesting because throughout this series, these have been his brothers. He has always referred to them as brothers. They have been a family, and now he is like, hey, you know what? We got we to gotta compromise here because they're not going to, to stun us. They're going to take us out. Right. Yeah, he's a little more pragmatic and he's a soldier. So, of course, you know, <laughs> he has a skill set that is a little less gentle. Um, it's interesting. It's so interesting. And it pays off later in the episode when there is some, uh, you know, actual showdowns between the clones that he's having trouble separating the fact that just like he was under the control of the chip and how, you know, desperate he was to try and regain his agency in that situation and be able to do what he knows is right. Uh, he's kind of forgotten you know, now that it's his skin that's on the line that all of his comrades are in the exact same boat. Um, but he just doesn't see another option as a soldier. You know, that's really the play here and he's not wrong, right? Like I think he sees the numbers and as a soldier, he understands that there's really only one way out of this and it's with guns blazing, but you know, he just happens to have a Jedi ally who can maybe think outside the box. It's, it's true to both their characters. It was a, a touching scene because it really is, putting front and center the weight of the situation and the gravity of what they're going to have to do. And the fact that, you know, that by the end of this episode, it's not going to be a clean break. They're not getting away without a few clones, unfortunately having to meet their demise. And uh, yeah, they're just setting the table and uh, I'm feeling it. And of course, while this is all going on, Maul is still out there. He is causing his quote unquote diversion <laughs> and is causing yeah. a whole bunch of chaos here. Now, I loved every bit of Maul in this episode and just his force powers that he was using. He didn't wield a lightsaber a single time in this episode, as well as the last one. And it's just really showing that, hey, a force wielder doesn't need to use yeah. a lightsaber all the time. Yeah, it's kind of why there was a little part of me that felt a little disappointed when Yoda pulled out a lightsaber and attacked the clones for the first time, because they'd always presented him as someone that was kind of above it. You know, wars do not make one great. And, you know, he was always teaching Luke that it's, you know, it's, it's all about inner strength and it's all about calm. And so it's interesting that sometimes um, a demonstration of prowess is more potent when you don't have your your regular weapons to wield or to rely on and it, it has to just be you conjuring your inner strength we don't necessarily look at villains and hope that they're going to be able to do that and win the day but it's kind of hard to not root for maul here when he is just being so effective like he is a guy in complete control of his vessel in this like uh the way he's able to bring down the reactors and the way he's just able to mow through clones like their ragdolls it's a lot of fun to watch, even though you're hoping beyond hope that he's not going to beat Ahsoka and Rex to the ship. It's still, yeah, so fun to watch. <laughs> and it's really nice throughout this whole episode. And you brought this up last week as well, that Maul mm -hmm. and Ahsoka kind of represent this yin and yang yes. here from, from the very beginning of their story arc, which was called the Phantom Apprentice, where two apprentices are going at each other maul is out there he's using his anger he is definitely harming a lot of clones and mm. while ahsoka is out there and she is using her powers to protect everyone involved she's trying to save everyone's skin and maul is only after saving his own yeah and because maul doesn't have the liability of caring about these clones he's actually got the upper hand he's not handicapped like ahsoka and rex where they're trying to you know sidestep the the dirty business at hand 
he's just decapitating, strangling, takes a guy's arm off purely because he wants to have a, a calm link, you know, to work with. And of course, you know, that's a brilliant move. Maul again proves that uh, he is no slouch, even just dealing with things strategically. He knew that being able to tie into the clone's movements was going to help him. And uh, it works perfectly. He knows where all the action's happening on the other side of the ship. So he can kind of get ahead of the the fray. So good. And so smart. Like there's nothing about this, like where you're wondering, okay, but is this a time jump or where's this happening on the ship? Like there's, there's nothing about how this unfolds where you're losing track of where you're at in the, the storyline or in the ship or anything. It's just so competent. And uh, you're right. The back and forth does create a nice contrast where Ahsoka clinging to her morality is constantly creating dead ends for her and Rex. But yeah, Maul, he's just unstoppable at this point. And then we get this ship that is exiting hyperspace. And whenever I saw this, I had to pause it. I had to rewind it. And I had to watch it over again because mm. this animation, when this ship exits or crashes outside of hyperspace, basically, it looked so amazing and so flawless. The animation, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. Well, I mean, they can do wonderful things with computers these days. And <laughs> Lucasfilm uh, is at the forefront of that game, actually. So um, maybe I'm not quite as taken in by uh, a really good effect shot or CG shot anymore because we've seen so much of it. But this was certainly, you know, great. I, I love that the debris comes out of hyperspace with them. So even though Maul has basically torn apart the back of the Star Destroyer, you still got all those pieces um, kind of moving in tandem with the ship because the ship is basically coasting out of hyperspace. So every it's, it's not accelerating. So all of that debris and all that carnage just kind of goes with it and you get, you know, kind of a dust cloud of debris. And so, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, we all pick out the things that, that matter to us. I enjoyed the shot, but I guess I wasn't quite as blown over as, as you were fun enough though. Cause we don't usually see people exiting hyperspace in that kind of condition. Yeah, just this whole, I, I guess going back to this whole finale of the Clone Wars, the improvements that we've seen in animation over the 10 mm -hmm. years that we've had this show, it's been quite outstanding to see it. Then, of course, in this final season, just everything that they've been able yeah. to do. They, I mean, they just put everything forward here and everything on the table yeah. and used everything, uh, all their tools there at Lucasfilm to execute a Absolutely. great finale. Yeah, no, the whole season has looked fantastic. And these last four episodes are even a cut above. It seems like the character animation they're going even further with. We know that they've done a lot more mocap and there's just a level of quality and weight to it. That is the best we've seen in the series. And it's all paying off here because every frame of this episode is stunning and it, it just all adds into what was already a compelling story. Like all the visuals in the world can't make up for poor storytelling. But the nice thing is we're getting it from all sides here we're, we're getting great narrative uh great character performances you know we don't spend a lot of time talking about the voice actors but everyone involved in this from top to bottom seems to be turning out really really good work so yeah i guess i can get on board with that if, if you thought that that was just kind of like the the apex of the visuals for the episode great there was just a lot to to draw on there was a lot of stunning moments that you could point to particularly at the end like I, i'm gonna i'm gonna reserve my uh, comments for that nice little denouement that we get after all of this plays out. Um, but I don't want to jump ahead, so I'll just throw back to you. What do you want to talk about next? Well, going back to this kind of depressing note of the overall episode <laughs> of what's going on. And I, I love how Rex and Ahsoka really point this out in their dialogue here, where the clones 
realize that they're going to have more difficulty trying to capture these guys and chase them around the ship. And you have mm-hmm. Jesse who practically basically figures this out. Like they're going for a ship. Like we're crashing. Right. They're going for a ship. So let's just stop them from getting there and all die together here. Yeah. See, this is where it becomes even more tragic because we've always seen the clones, especially this regiment as the heroes. Like these are the elite. These are the, just the guys we've come to know. We know their strengths. We know, you know what they've been through. We know their skills. We just, we like these guys. And so I was actually a little, you know, it was a bit of a gut punch when, you know, Jesse takes his place at the the front of the troops and he's ready to stand them down. And he knows exactly that this is the stalemate. All they have to do is stand there and there's no other play for Rex and Ahsoka. And it's kind of hard to not feel like, well, I get it because he's a capable soldier. We already know this. We already know they're smart. We already know, you know, they, they can all kind of keep pace with each other, <laughs> the nature of being cloned. So of course you're eventually going to get to a stalemate. And, um, I don't know, it was just kind of hard to watch because these aren't faceless stormtroopers. These are, you know, the, the main characters of this show. And at this point we have to accept that in order for Ahsoka and Rex to win the day, and we know they're gonna, these guys aren't going to make it. (laughs) And that was, that was just kind of a hard realization to hit when they're looking down over the, the hangar bay from the control room up there and they realize, okay, oh, there's only one more move to make. And this is just, yeah, this is going to be hard. And another thing that led it to being so devastating is that you have these clones all come out of their hideout and they get into position. And then the one leading them is Jesse. I mean, as soon as I saw his helmet enter into the frame and realized what's going on, I, I realized again, like, oh, well, this was a guy two episodes ago who was trying to save Ahsoka and was willing to put his yes. life on the line and tells Maul, ah, you're going to have to kill me. I'm not giving you anything. And now right. here he's leading this attack to execute Ahsoka and Rex. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else I can say about it. Cause that is basically, you know, that's the feeling that I had when, when they all kind of take their ranks there is that, Oh, you know what? This is going to come down to Jesse and Rex. And we, as the audience, have to pick a side, but you don't want to because they're both equally good. It just Rex happened to be the one that Ahsoka was able to deal with and and uh, get the chip out. But if they'd had more opportunity and if the ship wasn't exploding around them, I'm quite sure that Ahsoka would say, okay, one by one, let's figure out how to get these guys to the medical bay. But that's just not on the table for them. And so someone's going to fall. And uh, yeah, tragic. And of course, to up the ante of tragedy here we have ahsoka removing rex's helmet which was so just and this was another thing both on the voice acting that met so perfectly what the animation was portraying i mean you see see once again this tear rolled down rex's face because he's devastated by all of it he's devastated that these are his brothers he feels like this is all that he's been betrayed like you said he's kind of forgotten that this chip is there at the same time but he is just in grief here. I mean, there's this real tone of grief being portrayed in this whole scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guess you said it all. Like, I, I don't want to just kind of parrot what you just said, but you're right. It's tragic and you're feeling it. And this again is where the score is doing a great job of adding so much more heft and just giving you that insight into just how low the characters are at and how much they're just trying to hold on to a little bit of their humanity here. And that's kind of why. You know, you need this face to face. We can't be looking at Rex as a a clone right now. 
<laughs> you know, the show is is really doing a great job of giving you all the feels. Well, and then, of course, we have this kind of stalling of the clones, Ahsoka's plan being executed here. And then, of course, mm. the real heroes of this plan being the droids in which all of them perish. <laughs> yes. more Again, if the, if the episode already wasn't heavy enough, we get these. <laughs> yeah, we, we get our, our hero droids. Um they stay at the console, right? Like they have a job to do and they can't abandon their post and they get found and absolutely decimated from close range. And it's not like in say a new hope where R2 gets a shot when he's in the X-Wing and five minutes later he's repaired and, you know, getting a medal with the others or whatever. This is absolute decimation of these droids. And because they've been so heroic and so gung ho to, to work with Ahsoka and save the day, you know, on a couple of occasions in the last couple hours of, of all this playing out, man, <laughs> that was one of the more tragic moments of the episode. And I, I love it when star Wars can make you feel for a droid. We got it with K2SO, right? Like he really proved himself at the end of rogue one, where he stays by his post and defends the door long enough to let the heroes get away. And, you know, you get those tragic final moments and, and that final communique from him right before he's cut down. I was feeling very similar with this. And, and I do kind of love that uh, droids that just kind of chirp and, you know, are, are just there to fix the ship. There is much, you know, people and, and they have value and, and worth in this galaxy, just like any of our protagonists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just good on them for really uh, going full out with how much tragedy they're going to be able to explore in this finale. They really make you feel grief for droids here. I mean, we had it with IG-11. We had it with that mm -hmm. little wheel droid. And of course, the rise of Skywalker, where you're legitimately feeling bad for these just hunks of metal with programming yeah. that aren't really living, but we feel their deaths all the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's one of the unique things that Star Wars brings to the table that you don't really get in many other big franchises. So, yeah, I'm glad they were able to work that in. And now we're back to this kind of yin and yang theme, this Ahsoka and Maul uh, parallel. Well, where mm. Maul, the initial diversion, is now using them as a diversion to get to the ship and save his own skin once again, while Ahsoka is willing to basically, she pulls this ship back. It appears that she's winning, that she's going to get the ship back. But if she does, Rex is going to die. So she lets go of it to save Rex. Right. Yeah, no, there's there's always another move to make, I guess. Like at a certain point, you got to <laughs> figure out in the moment what's going to keep you alive long enough to maybe figure out what plan B is going to be. Um, but I think maybe we should just jump back here quickly because we glossed over that scene where Rex brings Ahsoka out and he confronts all of the clones, but does kind of this desperation play of maybe he can find a legality. He can kind of talk them down to the to where they don't uh, act on order 66 by saying, well, Ahsoka is not a Jedi. We all know this, mm -hmm. but we learned something very interesting here. And I don't know if you have any great insight on it, but it, it kind of caught my attention when I was watching it. Jesse says, you know, that Sidious gave us extra direction specifically about this. So there's no getting around it. And he doesn't say the chancellor. He doesn't say Palpatine. He says Sidious. Which I just thought was interesting. It makes a lot of sense because it wasn't ever the Chancellor that was dealing with the Kaminoans initially when they commissioned the clones. We thought it was Sifo-Dyas, but apparently that was more of a smokescreen and uh, it may have been Plagueis. Like there's, there, there's so much subterfuge in that we'll never get to the bottom of it. But 
as far as the Kaminoans were concerned, or as far as uh, what Palpatine's plan was, it would have had to have been Sidious that ultimately was the one that could direct the clones because he was going to have to reveal himself. And, and that was the only personage that uh, was ultimately what he wanted the clones to be accountable to. So it kind of makes sense, but it, it was just such a nice little detail that would have escaped notice if this script hadn't really been babied and, and uh, refined and, and fine tuned by someone that just knows the deepest amounts of star Wars lore to draw on here. And it was just a little detail that I picked up on. And uh, I was just wondering if maybe you were scratching your head at it or wh- how you thought this scene played out. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a whole lot of speculation when uh, we knew basically in this four part siege of Mandalore where a bunch of people were talking like, OK, so Order 66 is going to go down and maybe Ahsoka survives because she's not really a Jedi and maybe Maul survives because once again, right. he's not really a Jedi. And so there was a, definitely a lot of speculation there. But I always thought like, OK, I don't think that Sidious is that stupid. I don't think that right. he's going to allow that to gloss over. He wants all these force wielders destroyed. So whatever that special direction was, I would love to see that and see uh, what the programming was and how it actually went down. Maybe it was anyone force building that wasn't a Skywalker. Like maybe he was already planning that whole thing way ahead of time. And so it was really interesting with that. And I mean, we have so many unanswered questions with Sidious going (laughs) all the way to Exegol. So maybe there was something going on there. Yeah, I and again, like this is where we kind of until they make a movie about it or a TV show about it, we'll just fill in the gaps with our own headcanon. I guess all we can really say is it does kind of make sense in Revenge of the Sith when the little holograms come up to execute Order sixty six. It is the robed Palpatine, mm-hmm. and they understand that they're getting direction from Palpatine or from I guess Sidious. Uh, so it does all track, and it's just kind of interesting that we've always kind of assumed that we understood what Order sixty six was, but you never know what you don't know because we've never heard it spelled out. So even though it's always been explained that it was, you know, uh, Sidious is dropping the hammer on, on the Jedi. You don't actually know, you know what the particulars of it were. And, and it's just fun that this show is smart enough to know that and be able to use that to make more compelling stories. So yeah, this is something that'll get filled in in time, but I was just really enjoying the attention to detail and just the craft of it all. And I did like that at a certain point, Jesse is just as, kind of like mentally quick as Rex and every point that Rex is making, Jesse has the counter and ultimately this is all for naught. There's just no way to sidestep order 66. And now they've revealed themselves. They've kind of made themselves vulnerable. They're in the hangar bay floor. And (laughs) at this point it's up to the droids to hopefully, uh, you know, maybe take care of half of them and start just messing with the floors to give them a a fighting chance at, at getting past them. But what they don't expect is Maul. And now we're kind of back to where you were at. So uh, what did you think uh, was worth talking about when Maul makes his appearance here? Well, I mean, it, it makes you angry because for a little bit, you start liking Maul. You start kind of rooting <laughs> yes. for him because he is helping Ahsoka out in a way. And so you're just like, yeah, OK, yeah, let's, I want to keep seeing Maul. But then as soon as he enters the hangar bay here and he sees the ship, you kind of right. have that. Oh, come on. No, don't do that. <laughs> They've got their hands full. They don't need more chaos here in the mix. And then you have, of course, you immediately turn against Maul as soon as he tries to jump ship. Yeah, whatever fun we were having with Maul kind of acting as the Tasmanian devil and just, you know, tearing things up and creating some fun visuals. 
at this point, it's do or die for our heroes. So yeah, yeah, we've lost all sympathy for Maul, but uh, hey, he still manages to to get away again because he is not encumbered by any kind of a need to uh, avoid casualties or whatever. He can just kind of brute force his way to the ship, and that's uh, that's where we leave Maul for now until maybe we pick up with them in Solo. And then, of course, Rex is getting injured, which causes Ahsoka to leave this, her trying right. to pull this ship back with the Force. And she goes, and she, of course, is getting injured. Rex finds another ship, and they have this nice sequence here where Ahsoka didn't make it to the ship, and she's kind of falling through the air and using the debris to try to <laughs> get back to Rex. Yeah, yeah, what fun. The It'll never be easy right it's it's not like oh great another ship we get away uh no we need one last little crescendo on our climax here for the clone wars and it's ahsoka reminding us that she's every bit a master uh she can take the situation and she can still figure out how to well not turn into a pancake over it and uh it was just fun to watch like there's there's obviously nothing great to talk about aside from just how fun it was to watch and uh, how much you're rooting for her to kind of reappear in the mist there in, in time to, to get in the, the gunner seat there. And she does. And, you know, finally <laughs> they're, they're going to get to breathe a sigh of relief, but their escape and their seeming victory is short lived because we yeah. know that the star destroyer crashes and uh, that brings us to our final scene. So throw back to you. Well, and I just love how this is kind of the end of the dialogue here, where Ahsoka mm-hmm. and Rex, even though they are saved, they don't actually say anything. And the animation, the way that you see their eyes, they you feel that they have realized, like, oh, okay, we got out of here, but it's not over. And the, the galaxy is in shambles. And, of course, yeah. this moon where this ship crashes... They mark all the graves of these clones, which is once again just shows kind of the humanity and the overall good guy in Ahsoka that she is she's honoring these clones who were trying to kill her an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, we've already dissected pretty heavily where Ahsoka is coming from. She recognizes that it wasn't them. They were effectively possessed by Sidious. Like that's the best way to kind of put it in sort of like earth terms, (laughs) you know, like we've all seen movies where someone just doesn't have their agency and you hope that you can somehow snap them out of the trans or whatever it is. But uh, in this case, no, every last one of them fell and uh, she's not going to be able to live with herself if she doesn't, you know, try and give them some respect for the, the bad situation that they were all foisted into here. Ahsoka drops the lightsabers that Anakin Skywalker had reunited her mm, with into yes. this moon. And she kind of has her moment where she leaves. And then this leads us into this kind of flash forward, however long it was, where now this portion of the moon, it's been covered in some snow here. And we have some dark figure emerging and walking towards this mass gravesite. Yeah, okay. So just before we jump into Darth Vader, which is awesome, how did you read that scene? What do you think Ahsoka's motivation was for dropping her sabers there? So from the novel, Ahsoka, I have some idea here, but there Uh is some things that have changed. So this is if we want to get into that right now. Um, Okay, I didn't realize that you had more insight on it. Um, I'm just going to quickly throw out what on first viewing I thought was going on Mm -hmm. there because the music was very... Um, very somber and she seemed very crestfallen. I was wondering if maybe this was the moment where 
maybe she's feeling Anakin like officially embrace the dark side. Like I think she felt it before order 66, but I think she's had time to figure out what that means. Like she, she understands the implications of what she was feeling earlier, or maybe this is Obi-Wan's duel with Anakin that's happening in tandem with this situation. I felt like she was realizing something or coming to terms with something. And because she got the sabers back as a a gift and sort of a, like a a statement of faith from Anakin and he converted them to blue just to be, I don't know, a big brother or whatever. I felt like if she still felt that Anakin loved her and was an ally that she wouldn't have thrown them away because they, they kind of have that sentimental value and it's kind of her last connection to something positive that she can latch onto from before the dark times fell. So I don't think she would have gotten rid of them otherwise, unless there was something that she understood. Oh, not only has the galaxy fallen into turmoil, but you know, my big brother, my ally, my master has fallen too. Like I felt like maybe that's what she was understanding. So that was my hunch. Now I would really love to know what actually was, was going on there. See, I like your your story, your headcanon there <laughs> okay. way better than what actually happened. I mean, that that is completely beautiful. Her And the parallels, and it also makes sense because Vader, the way he looks at the saber when he picks it up, right? Right. But, uh, and this is kind of where the continuity, and I'm willing to forgive it in this instance because this is continuity that was established in a novel versus what we're mm. actually seeing. And of course, more people have watched The Clone Wars and probably have or will read the novel but i encourage you reading it but in the novel it it is actually pretty explicit as to what goes down here so after all this stuff happens they don't explain like the you know the star destroyer crashing and all that but they do explain uh that ahsoka and rex escape and they fake his death and Mm. put some other clone in his armor and make a fake grave with him holding ahsoka's lightsabers to make it look like he killed ahsoka and collected oh. the lightsabers and this is so the it was cool like thing yeah order 66 basically took care of ahsoka so no one's looking for her and no one's looking for rex either no one's looking right. for a yep. clone that, that that went to the right but we have which is cool about it is that it was she makes this kind of side comment that when they find rex if they actually dig him up they'll see that he has the sabers which was customary of clones that killed uh, the yeah, Jedi, they sure. would actually take the lightsabers from them. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's a smart move. Is there anything? Well, the fact that she just drops it on the ground mm-hmm. means that they're, they're trying to tell a different story, but she only drops one on the ground. Is the other one in a grave? And was Rex wearing his armor in that closing shot? Now I have to go back and watch. Did you take notice? Mm-hmm. He he was wearing his armor, but I didn't see his helmet. And so I wonder if okay. his helmet was put away or maybe they actually haven't thought that far as to what to do with him. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was something that was really interesting. And I and I wanted to go back and see if she actually lost her saber in that fight before she leaps off the Star right. Destroyer. Yeah, I assume that she only had one intact by the time they get to the planet. Like the other one she lost somewhere along the line of the battle. and I just didn't notice. Um, well, I said it last week, these episodes are well worth a rewatch because there's a lot more to pick up on and, and just, yeah, they're still so engrossing on second watch. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and see if that kind of overlays onto what they established in the novel or if they're setting the record straight. Pablo Hidalgo has explained that when it comes to canon, anytime there's a seeming contradiction, movies trump all 
then I think TV fair trumps everything after that. And then, you know, you get into the books and comics and stuff. So the idea being that much like any other book that gets adapted to the screen, there can be a lot more detail in it. And sometimes you have to shuffle things around and you need to make composite characters just for brevity. You need to be able to tell a lot more story in a short amount of time. Uh, So you have to accept that even with star Wars canon, the movies or the TV shows may reinterpret and reimagine certain scenes. And you just take them as kind of the authority once they do that, because you can't let your tentpole media, your, your movie and your TV fair get shackled by what's in a novel that very few casual fans will ever read. Like you have to just say, it's okay, you know, for us to, to break the narrative a little bit here for the sake of making a better movie or better TV show. So I'll be forgiving of it when it happens in movies and TV, uh, it's just not fun when it goes the other way around and like a novel comes afterwards and tries to recontextualize something in the movie that maybe cheapens it or something. That's where you can't take a book and let it somehow compromise the movie. But this is fine. I'm I'm fine with this, especially because I didn't read the book. So <laughs> there's no liability for me. But that's a very cool insight for anyone who has. Well, and then also with the novel, Ahsoka just stops feeling Anakin. She no longer senses oh, okay. his presence in the galaxy. So she believes that he is actually, that he uh, suffered and he yeah. met his demise during Order 66, which, if you think about it, Anakin Skywalker kind yeah. of did and became something else entirely. The good man who was Anakin Skywalker ceased to exist. Yeah, that fits. Now, how the Clone Wars does it. It is so interesting that she looks at her saber and just drops it and turns away, which is symbolic mm. as to where she is in Rebels, that she's no longer this Jedi. She's turned yeah. away from it entirely. She's left her saber. She has new sabers in Rebels, which the novel also explains how she got those. But mm-hmm. we have this Lord Vader who comes mm. to this moon. He picks up this lightsaber and ignites it. And what did you, how'd you read into that? I'm curious as to what was the purpose of him igniting the blade? Well, it's all part of the tragedy of Darth Vader or of Anakin Skywalker, I guess. He gave those to Ahsoka. It was his last opportunity to get closure and clear the air and try to reconnect with his Padawan, someone that he loves. Mm-hmm. And when he finds it on this planet, as much as he is Darth Vader and he's seething and he's thriving on, pain and anguish you have to believe that there's a little part of him that ignited that saber looked at the length looked at the color looked at the hilt realized oh (laughs) i know this saber and a little part of him whatever little parts of anakin skywalker are still in there another little part of it was chipped away as he had to accept that this is more of the the carnage and destruction that he's wrought on the galaxy and uh, it's staring him in the face. And how can you not, uh, you know, just feel worthless? And that's mm-hmm. that is the tragedy that we know that as menacing as Darth Vader is, he's always haunted by this. And uh, yeah, this is just one more underscore of the damage he's done. And he probably feels a little betrayed by Ahsoka that she had left this gift from Anakin Skywalker just here i mean she didn't give it a nice burial that luke said this is not the way to treat a weapon of a jedi type of thing Mm -hmm. she just drops it and she leaves it there in the dirt to be covered by the snow 
And I would like to think that Vader takes this back to Mustafar and puts it in his castle somewhere so that he has to encounter it on a daily basis and is filled yeah. with anger because that's what Sith do. Yeah, yeah, he has to use that pain uh, to kind of fuel his darkness. Yeah, a uh, a very strong finish to this series to be able to add more flavor to Darth Vader, who he is, and and uh, just the tragedy of it all. It just really brings everything full circle. You know, first episode, we see Anakin kind of in his prime as a young Jedi, just happy to be on the side of the good guys. And now he's even, as far as he knows, potentially led to the murder of his own Padawan. Tragic. And the best part of this is he looks up and sees... I'm assuming that this is Morai here who's hovering yes. over him. Yeah, her spirit totem animal or whatever, yeah. And so now we have this once again that was teased back in like season, I can't even remember what season of the Clone Wars this this storyline of Mortis went down. Right, right. But we have the parallel where Ahsoka might be the daughter mm-hmm. and now the role of the son has been taken by Lord Vader. And once again, right. they're in this never-ending contrast with each other yeah so this is uh some of the the last gifts that we're getting from george lucas here where he really wanted to drive home the the idea of balance and light and darkness and the good and bad of the force and uh really solidify the the myth of it all and of course we need some sort of a uh, a wink at that whole story arc because yeah it, it it plays in so nicely into where we leave darth vader at this point in the story yeah, I, there, we could go on and on if we wanted to start dissecting that that whole story arc and, and all of the symbolism behind it. But yeah, suffice to say, Filoni was involved in that, obviously. So he's going to uh, understand that there's something to be said uh, about bringing in that symbolism. And it works. And it's subtle. And it's only there for the people that are really up on it. So great storytelling. Well, what a May the 4th it has been (laughs) for us here at Star Wars TV Talk. And of course, if you're a Star Wars fan, it has been so exciting. But John, where can the people find you? If anybody is into Saturday Night Live, I produce the SNL After Party podcast. We are going to be covering SNL season 45 finale, which they are producing from home during this quarantine. Interesting times we're living in and it's making for interesting SNL. So if that's anyone's cup of tea, go over to SNLpodcast.com or find us in any of your podcasting apps. And you can follow this show on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes on our website at StarWarsTVTalk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please hit that subscribe button. You can find our network of TV Talk shows at TVTalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the 4th be with you. (laughs) Always. A massive navigational bridge dense with First Order crew. A laser blast spins them around. Rose cocks her heavy weapon. Finn seals the door. Who's in charge here? I am. Great, I'm your new pilot. Where does the pilot sit? Ray loses patience, waves her palm toward the officer. Set a course for the Nirwan system. Set course for the Nirwan system. The crewmen turn and take their positions at the console. Mind trick on mass.